Acts 17 is where we find ourselves today. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you after the service. We've been studying through the book of Acts together, and as we saw in chapter 16, we've spent the last few weeks there, we, we saw that, that Paul has now set out on his second missionary journey. He is with Silas, and along the way he's picked up Timothy, a young man, and picked up Luke, the actual author of the book of Acts. And as they've continued on through their journey, we, we talked about this, and we can pop up the map real quick here, and as we've been looking and, and coming along, leaving Antioch and moving up through the area that they were. It's at, it tells us that Paul just wanted to go south down towards Ephesus, but it tells us that the Holy Spirit forbid him to go. And then the desire to go up north into Bithynia, but it tells us that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow him to go there. So as they continued on, they end up at Troas, and it was there that Paul saw a vision. God gave him a vision of a man from Macedonia who said, please come and help us. We need help. And so Paul and the, and the guys, they set sail, and they, they go across over into Macedonia, and they end up in Philippi. And that's where we spent some time looking over the past couple of weeks. Paul's work and the, guy, the, the men's work there in Philippi, the church that was planted there when there was just a few women meeting down for a prayer meeting by the river. And from there, this church begins to grow. One particular day we looked at where Paul came across this, this girl that was demon-possessed and following after them, say, you know, day after day after day, Paul finally turns, casts this demon out of her that was allowing her to, to do this fortune-telling and that kind of stuff. And we looked at that, but the response of the crowd then, and had them thrown in prison for that, and we looked at that as the, uh, the jailer that was there that was, that was responsible for keeping them, had them locked in the stocks in the deepest part of the prison. And then at midnight, the darkest hour, the Lord answers their prayer and their praise with an earthquake that shook so much, the doors flew open on the prison, the shackles came off, but none of them fled. They didn't take off running. The jailer thought they did. He was going to kill himself, but Paul said, no, 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 we're all still here. And through that process, the jailer and his entire family came to know Jesus as Lord. We looked at that last week, and, and then they, they got Paul out of town. They, they shipped him away because of the difficulty there. And that's where we pick up now in chapter 17. Follow along with me, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And a poor, according to Paul's custom, he went to them. And for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Paul travels down a little bit and ends up in a city named Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a, a center of business. It was actually the capital of Macedonia. It was a lot of trade routes went through there, a lot of commerce. There was a very busy port that was there. So a lot of money taking place, a lot of people traveling through. Interesting, it was considered a free city at the time. All of this area was under Roman rule but it was a free city which allowed them to have their own elections. It allowed them to mint their own coins in Thessalonica. And there was not a Roman garrison present there. 
But we did see something here that was a little different than Philippi. Here there was a synagogue. In Philippi there was not. Here there was. And that was Paul's custom if there was a synagogue to go there. And he's going there and he's sharing the scriptures with them and he's talking with them. And and it tells us that for three Sabbaths he went to the synagogue. Now some have taken that to believe that he was only in Thessalonica for three weeks. But there's a lot of evidence to indicate that Paul was actually there for an extended period of time, only three weeks in the synagogue. Some of that looks at when we look at the letter that Paul writes back to Philippi. Remember, that's where he left to come to Thessalonica. He writes back to Philippi much later on, but he references to his time in Thessalonica here where he said, you guys gave to the needs of the church and to my needs here in Thessalonica on more than one occasion. So at least twice, the church in Philippi sent money and goods to Paul for his work in Thessalonica. And just as a, just as a pause there, guys, never underestimate what the work that, that God calls you to do in your giving and in your serving, what God can do with that. As, as we just obediently respond to God as he leads and prompts us in those things, the far-reaching effects of that, the, 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 the gifts that they were giving went to help the church in Thessalonica, which as we're going to see at the end of our study today, had far-reaching effects as the church went out from Thessalonica, but because of the gifts that were given to Paul through that. We also know that, again, through Paul's letters as he is writing back to the church in Thessalonica from Corinth later on, that he talks of the fact that he worked there day and night. He mentions that a couple of different times. So Paul set up a little shop or at least some type of business. He was a tent maker by trade. He did that for a little while. So we know that Paul was in Thessalonica for a while, not a long while but more than three weeks. But during those three weeks that he was in the synagogue, it's interesting, it tells us here that in verse 2, according to Paul's custom, he went, to the, he went to the synagogue and reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul reasoned with them. That word that's used there, it means to dialogue. It means to exchange conversation. It wasn't like, like here where I'm standing up and, and just speaking. There was a dialogue that was exchanging. And the word that is translated there for us, reasonable, really does carry with it the idea of logic of reasoning, and, and it's, it's one of those things, it, don't you, when you're having a conversation with someone, isn't it, especially when you're exchanging some ideas or talking through a, a situation, isn't it just one of the things you want right off the bat is just be reasonable? I mean, isn't that what we want from, I mean, just, just be reasonable. And how difficult that is sometimes. <laughs> You know, I know you don't, most of you don't share the same difficulty I have in finding clothes that fit. <laughs> and, you know, that was, it, was, it wasn't a big problem when my parents were, were responsible for that. But now that I am, it's, you know, it's, it's more expensive. It's a little more difficult sometimes to find those things. But it's also, we all have different tastes. We all have different styles in things and, and different things that we like in clothing and accessories or, or different things we have. One of which is, is our watch. I, got, I finally found a watch that I just absolutely love. And it took me a long time. For, for years, I didn't even wear a watch, but I found this one. And you're not going to believe how, how it came about that I got this watch. You see, hundreds and thousands of years ago, lightning struck a rock and, and, it, and it, there was some ore that was in there, and it melted into this perfectly circular hole in the ground. And then 
then over, over the years, many other lightning strikes and natural disasters that were taking place and all of this stuff happening, all of this stuff just kept on formulating and coming together. Just amazing. And, and even, even some animals just happened to die right in the right per, pro, proper spot and their bones and different things like that all came together. How do I know that? Well, it says fossil right on there. <laughs> and so I know that that had to be part of it. And then, and then some sand happened to blow in a perfectly like right there. And again, another perfectly timed lightning strike that melted it so that I can actually see through. And the, the biggest part for me with a watch that I struggled with was the watch band. And because I, I have hairy arms. And the, those other watch bands, the metal ones, they would always pull the hair on my arms. It's so annoying. I hated that. So to find one that actually had where a cow died right at the right place and that... <laughs> It came together and, well, that's reason, a reasonable explanation how my watch came about, right? Well, of course not. We'd say, well, that's completely unreasonable. But here, let me tell you what'll make it all make sense. It took billions of years. I mean, that makes sense now, doesn't it? It's not reasonable. There's not one person that in this room or anywhere in the world ever that would say, well, that's a reasonable explanation of how you came about your watch. But let me tell you, as complex as this watch is, it's nowhere near as complex as the wrist that it's on. <laughs> Do you realize the, sec the cellular structure of, of our wrist and how, how things work? The DNA that makes us up, each one of us, is self-correcting. I mean, what it bl blow your mind? Just start reading some stuff about that. I was looking at a little bit of that this week. And <laughs> my watch doesn't self-correct. I have to correct my watch. But the world would try to tell you that it's reasonable to think that all of us came out of this pile of goo that got hit by lightning. Here's the reason. It's reasonable. Billions of years ago. It doesn't make sense that it only happened over a short period of time, so let's just put a zero on the end, and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one, and then we just all, now, now it's reasonable. Guys, it's not reasonable. There is only one reasonable explanation why you're here and I'm here, and that's we were created. All, all of creation screams that there's a creator. That's the only reasonable explanation explanation that we're here. And when, when we reason with one another, guys, we, we, we start with that. And so if, there, if it's reasonable to believe that there is a creator, wouldn't it be also reasonable to believe that he would tell us how his creation should function? Wouldn't it be reasonable to believe that his desire would be to communicate with us and to share with us the ideas that he has on how things are going to work perfectly since he is the creator? Well, guys, it's right here. This is the living word of the creator of the universe. He has spoken to us. And it's, isn't it reasonable that, that the creator of all things would have some rules around how things should work? And if those rules aren't followed, there should be consequences. Isn't that reasonable? Yet the world would try to tell you that that's foolish. 
Guys, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there's not faith involved. The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. There is an aspect of faith in this, but it's not an unreasonable faith. It is a totally reasonable faith. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that we, that we who believe that God created the heavens and the earth with his word, are walking in this faith. But it's completely reasonable. And it tells us here that, that Paul reasoned with them from the Word of God. From the Scriptures. He, he reasoned with them these words that are used here in verse 3, explaining and giving evidence, are, are kind of fascinating words when you look at it. explaining. It means to, to open up thoroughly, completely, and to disclose fully. So he took the scriptures and he opened up the scriptures. He talked about what the scriptures said, what they mean. He, it's a, that word giving evidence means to place alongside. So he opened up the scriptures and he explained them and he dialogued with them about the scriptures. Guys, that's why we do what we do here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. If you're new here, that's what we do every week. We, we open up God's word and we go through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Opening it up, looking at it completely. What is it saying? How, what does it mean to us? And the, the first thing that we see here as he's explaining and giving evidence, notice it says that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. As he's expounding on the scriptures, he's focusing on what the Messiah had to do and why he had to do it. And we don't know specifically what scriptures it was that he used, but we can look throughout the entire Old Testament scriptures. We know it was that because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. <laughs> we know that he's looking at the Old Testament scriptures. And he's pointing to them what the Messiah had to do, the one that came, and why he had to do it. And in a nutshell, guys, it's because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And because, again, we said it's completely reasonable that there would be rules from this creator and there would be consequences for those rules, he's laid that out for us. The consequences for sin is death. Every one of us, not just physical death, but spiritual death. A holy and righteous and perfect God cannot exist where there is sin. He cannot have that in him, around him. So because of our sin, we've separated ourselves and we have no hope of crossing that gap. But the Messiah, the one that is foretold in the scriptures, came and lived a perfect sinless life and exchanged that life for ours. I, I have little doubt that Paul referenced to them and pointed to Isaiah 53, where the prophet Isaiah is speaking about the coming Messiah, the one that is to come, and he says this, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging, we are healed. 
All of us like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Led like a lamb to the slaughter. It goes on, verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Giving himself as an offering for our guilt. He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. My servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Justification, that declaration of righteousness that we receive because he took our place. He took our punishment. He gives us his righteousness in exchange for our sin. That's not a New Testament concept. That is explained thoroughly in the Old Testament scriptures. Why he did what he did? Because you and I can't. Because you and I cannot take care of that debt. It's a debt that we can't pay. And then he goes on to tell them who this Messiah is. And he proclaims it. It's Jesus. Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the perfect one. He is the one who gave his life in exchange for ours. And this whole idea of being reasonable and reasoning with one another, wouldn't it be great if God would want to reason with us? He does. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. God says, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Let's reason together. There is something that you have done that has completely separated us. us. You, you can't fix that. But let's reason together. Later on, Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God says, let's reason together. You've totally messed this thing up. And you can't fix it. But I will send my own son. He will take your penalty. He will take your place. And all you need to do now is repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your sin. Turn to him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Give your life to him. Trust in his completed work on the cross for you. And your sins will be completely pardoned. Absolutely forgiven. Now if that's God's reasoning with us, isn't it completely unreasonable to reject that? I mean, the only reasonable response would be, yes. It tells us that many, many responded. Many were persuaded. Many were convinced. Accepting Jesus as their Lord. The church... (laughs) The church continues to grow as they're reasoned with. 
Well, verse, verse 5, it's also, as we come to know, it's reasonable to expect that the world, controlled by Satan and the enemy, the world will certainly come against it, and we see that. It continues. As we've seen, it continuing to study through the, the growth of the church, we see it paralleled even today. Many come to know the Lord, but the, the enemy of the work of God continues to push against it. Verse 5, but the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. They were seeking to bring them out to the people. They were going to, this went to this man's house, Jason, where no doubt Paul and the others were staying, thinking they could find them, bring them out. They weren't there, it says, when they did not find them, verse six, they began dragging Jason and some brethren from the city, from the city authorities shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. They're looking for Paul and Silas, wanting to bring them again before the authorities, before the city. Tells us that this is all stirred up by the, the Jewish religious leaders, jealous, seeing those that that were following them and listening to them, now all of a sudden hearing the truth of Jesus and turning and following Jesus. And they're like, hey, wait a second. This, this isn't right. This can't happen. They, they form a mob. They, they start making a whole lot of noise. This, this, they form a mob, this mob, this angry group of people, wicked men. If you have a King James version, there's some things that the King James says that just can't be, you know, that you just got it. It says, they were lewd fellows of the baser sort. <laughs> Love that. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. These guys are just hanging around with nothing better to do than to just make noise and cause a problem. Their only agenda is just to, just to cause problems and, and make noise. It's kind of like their version of the ACLU. Just nothing better to do than to just make a lot of noise, stick their nose in where it doesn't belong. I love their accusation, though. These men have upset the world. Praise God. Oh, that that would be said of the church today. These people are upsetting the world because, guys, the world needs to be upset. It's turned upside down needs to be turned right side back up again. And though we know that that will never fully happen until King Jesus comes back, we need to continue to do our best proclaiming him until he comes. I do like that too. They also said they're saying that there is another king, Jesus. That word another means another of a different kind. Yeah, he's no, like no other king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords proclaiming King Jesus. Obviously, this ministry is hugely successful. They're upsetting the world, and they're hearing about King Jesus. Well, they, they're looking for them. They can't find them. They get a pledge, it says, from Jason and the others. That does not mean that they recanted. That does not mean that they turned away from the faith. It just means that they basically posted bond and said, all right, we'll try to keep a lid on this thing <laughs> like we have any control of that. Verse 10 the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. 
Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Now, it says that they were more noble-minded, and it could be translated open-minded. That does not mean that the Thessalonians were closed-minded. It doesn't mean that they were dull of understanding. It's just speaking of this group here in Berea. And you've probably heard, through, through if you've been a, a student of the Bible for a long time, that we should all be like the Bereans. It's interesting that, you know, when, when you hear a statement like that, or if you've ever heard of that, and there's a whole bookstore chain named Berean Bookstore, you know, all of that. It's interesting. This is their only mention. They're not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. They're only mentioned here. But there's something amazing about this group of people that were in Berea. First of all, it said that they received the word with eagerness. They received the word with eagerness. Can I ask you, is there more, a more reasonable reaction that if the creator of the universe wants to talk to you, wouldn't it be reasonable you'd want to hear it? Wouldn't it be reasonable that you would receive it with eagerness? I mean, like if, if Warren Buffett just said, hey, you know what, I'm going to come by next Saturday morning, and I just want to share with you some tips. Anybody receive those with eagerness? Anybody else show up here just to say, hey, I'd, I'd like to know a little bit about those. I mean, it's amazing to, uh, to me when we hear, you know, okay, golfers. You know, the, the, Phil Mickelson's going to show up next Saturday and he's going to go out and just give some free golf lessons. How many would be willingly eager to go out and get a few golf lessons? I mean, we're willing to do that. But guys, isn't it completely reasonable? Again, the creator of the universe says, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you personally. Receiving it with eagerness. But also, and here's what the Bereans are famous for, they didn't just take what Paul said and say, oh, well, if Paul said it, it must be true. It says that they examined the Scriptures daily to see if what they were hearing from Paul was true. They went into the Word themselves. They examined the word. That means more than a casual reading. That means studying. That means taking it apart. That means looking deeply into the word and making sure that what it is they were hearing was true. Guys, I hope none of you came here today to hear what I had to say. And if you do, make sure everything I have to say, you go home and you check in, your own, in, the, in the word of God. I hope every one of you came here to hear what God has to say. That's again why... This is what we use. This is our textbook. This is what we go through all the time. It's the word of God. Again, isn't it only reasonable that we would want to hear from him, that we would want to dive deeply into his word? Is it only reasonable that we would want to get to know our creator as he reveals himself to us? Paul will say in Philippians that he counts all things to be lost when he compares it to knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Everything else he considers a distant second to knowing Jesus. Well, as we continue on, again, great fruit here in Berea, the church growing. But again, we find opposition as well. 
But from when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Can't you just plug in? And when the ACLU in Wisconsin found out that, you know, there they go. <laughs> agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then immediately... The brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. So they send Paul again, this group, <laughs> traveling all the way from Philippi, all the way through th from Thessalonica. They continue to chase him as he's going on. It says that they sent him away, uh, Silas and Timothy remained there for a short while once Paul lands in Athens, and we'll continue to our study uh, should the Lord tarry there in verse 16 next week, picking it up in Athens, but he says to send them to come down and see him. Now, I want to take a moment as we, as we finish up here to take a look at, again, I mentioned this at the beginning, the work of the church in Thessalonica. Remember, Paul was only there for a short while. We don't know how long, but sometime more than three weeks, probably sometime less than three months, somewhere in that time frame. And there was a church planted there, a church that was started there. And he will later write in a short time, the first two letters that Paul wrote that we have copies of are First and Second Thessalonians. He writes that from Corinth, sending them back. And if you take a look with me, let's turn to First Thessalonians. I just want to take a a look at a little bit of the first letter that he wrote to them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning verse 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. So he's Silas, Timothy, together with him there, writing this letter back to this church, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation which the, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the brethren in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul begins this letter with them saying, man, you guys are doing amazing. We, we love you guys, we miss you guys, but we're so encouraged when we hear of you. And we know, and notice the three things he draws mention of, your, your faith, your love, and your hope. Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that three things abide, three things remain, faith, hope, and love. Guys, it's completely reasonable as Christians, that those three things should define us. Those three things should make up what we are. Faith, love, and hope. Guys, our faith should refine us as Christians. As we walk by faith, 
we are changed. We are new creations. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Refined, those old things being burned off, those old things being taken away. As we walk by faith, God reveals to us how we are to walk that out, each of us individually. And we follow him in faith, not to earn his favor, but because he first loved us. Our faith should refine us, but guys, our love should define us. (laughs) Jesus said, the world will know you belong to me because of your love for one another. Because of the love that you display, the world will know that you're mine. It's an agape love. It's a love that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world. It's not based on what you've done for me or what you'll do for me in return. It's based on the fact that God first loved me and I just give that love out. And that kind of love should define us. But guys, our hope should align us. The hope that though our Lord Lord and Savior rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, he's coming back. (laughs) And we don't just hope that happens. Our hope is an absolute assurance. Because the King of Kings said, I'm coming back. the hope that we have, the absolute assurance that we have as believers that we will spend eternity in heaven with him. Guys, we need to live our lives from eternity backwards. That that is our home. That's where we're going. Paul writes in Colossians chapter three, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Your faith, your love, your hope, he's encouraged by those things. And then he says, and also you've become imitators of us as we are imitators of Christ, as we are following him. Again, Jesus, our ultimate example, he's the one that Peter references when he says, while being reviled, he did not revile himself in return, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That's our example. Regardless of what we face, regardless of what we go through, we need to trust the creator of all things, the sovereign God. And again, isn't that reasonable? Isn't that a reasonable thing to do, to live a life of faith, completely trusting in the one who's in control of everything, the one who gave his very life for us, the one who said, I'm coming back for you, the one who holds everything in the palm of his hand? Doesn't it make sense to trust him? Doesn't it make sense to trust the one who is completely always faithful, who can never be unfaithful? Jesus himself said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Guys, we're in the world. And because of that, we will have tribulation. We will have trials. We will have difficulties. There is no way to get around that. But Jesus said, if you are in me, you have peace. If we abide in him and his word and he in us, we will have peace in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the trials. Paul saw that in this church in Thessalonica. He said, even though you're going through great tribulations, through much tribulation, you've received the word. You're abiding in Christ. 
people are noticing. As we just close this out, look at verse 10, verse 7. You became an example to believers in Macedonia, Kai. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Kai, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. I love that about this church. Paul is saying everywhere we go, Every place that we stop and we start talking to people and we're sharing what God's doing with them, he says, well, let me tell you about this church up in Thessalonica. And they're like, dude, we've already heard about them. <laughs> you can't go anywhere without hearing about them. Man, their faith is awesome. Their love is unmatched. I mean, they're just, they're, and their hope, oh my goodness. So th this church in Thessalonica became famous throughout the region because of their faith, their love, their hope. And let me just encourage you with that Calvary Chapel surprise. I'll tell you one of the things that I'm so proud of as a pastor is how you are, the love of this place, the faith in this church. I can't tell how blessed I am this week by all of the prayers, again, for my mom and for the love that is shared here. We talked about that. We got away uh, as pastors and elders, I mentioned that last week, we got away for a couple of days and just praying and seeking the Lord. And one of the things I asked them was, what is it that is unique about Calvary Chapel Surprise? What is it, what are some of the things that, that Calvary Surprise does well? And the number one thing that came back in our discussion that we all agreed on that, that Calvary Chapel Surprise is basically almost known for is the love of this place. Every newcomer's dinner, without exception, there are several people who say, from the moment I walked through those doors, I felt loved. I felt like I was part of a family. I felt just totally embraced from the moment I walked in. Guys, that's not the same place everywhere. I have talked to a few of you who have been gone for the summer, and some of you said, man, I couldn't wait to get back because every church we visit, they're not all like this place. Your love your faith. As a praying church, you're praying because you have faith. You trust in the Lord and the hope that we have that we will be with him. He's coming back. But guys, I want to encourage you, excel still more. Continue to move forward in that because again, that's our only reasonable thing that we should be doing because <laughs> he's faithful. He's worthy of that. Faith Faith, love, and hope. But again, just let's close with this, verse 10. To wait for the Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Guys, he's the source of our faith. He's the object of our love. He's the reason for our hope, amen? And the one who rescued us from the wrath to come. It's all because of him. All of us deserved wrath and hell forever. He took that penalty for us so that we can have love in heaven forever. Now, isn't it only reasonable that we worship a king like that? 
And not just in song, as we're going to do now, but with our very lives. Paul tells us in Romans that our lives laid out for him is our only reasonable, same root in the word that we're talking reason the whole way through today, our only reasonable act of worship or act of service, that we live our lives out that way. Would you stand with me? We pray, and then we worship together. If you're here today and you've never, you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you've never come to Jesus and asked him to forgive you of your sin and to give you eternal life, you, you've done this, been trying to do this on your own, perhaps you've even been a part of church, part of religion, part of thinking that you can somehow make things right with God on your own, but you understand you've never taken that step to trust in Jesus alone I want to ask you right now to do the only reasonable thing, and that is to give your life to him, to trust in him. It's the only reasonable response, and I believe the Holy Spirit right now is convincing you of that. So if that is you, would you just pray with me? So I'll, I'll bow our heads and let's pray. If that is you, you just pray to the Lord and you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior. And right now I ask Jesus, that you would come into my life and be my Lord. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. I believe you took the full penalty for my sin. It's the only reasonable thing I can do but to give you my life now. So forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Give me eternal life, that free gift. I turn from my sin. I turn to you now. And Jesus, we all... All of us in this room who call on you as Lord, we worship you now. But we worship you from hearts that have been cleansed and purified. Lord, let our worship come from the very depths of who we are. And Lord, let our worship not stop when we stop singing, but let it continue in our very lives as we walk it out before you. Thank you and we praise you for who you are.